Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of GodPod. And uh, today we have a, a little bit of a special episode because we're doing something a little bit not different from normal. Um, the thing that is uh, normal as ever is the three of us who are the regular contributors to GodPod. So myself, Graham Tomlin. We also have Jane with us, Jane Williams. We do. And uh, Michael Lloyd, direct from Oxford. Line, I'm afraid. So I apologise if I go dialect-like more than usual. Good. We can just about hear you, Mike. Well done. Obviously, Oxford is sort of lost in a sort of miasma of fog or something like that. that We can't hear you. It's the dreaming spires. That's what does it. Too many dreams, exactly. But anyway, we also have a guest with us today who is um, Steve Benoy. And Steve is the uh, canon mission at Peterborough Cathedral. So, Steve, um, delightful to uh, welcome you today. Thank you very much, Graham. Thank you, Jane and Michael. Very good to be with you all. And we have a particular reason for inviting uh, Steve on the uh, uh, Godport today. Or in fact, he, he got in touch with us actually to kind of ask us uh, um, and uh, to um, be involved in this. And because Peterborough Cathedral is uh, at the moment, um, as we are recording this, it may not be still happening by the time you listen to this Godpod and way into the future, but it is at the moment uh, um, uh, having a uh, an exhibition called The Killer Question, which um, uh, involves a lot of dinosaurs around the cathedral. Steve, tell us a little bit about this exhibition and um, why you Uh, venture down this direction. (laughs) Thank you, yes. The Killer Question is an exhibition of uh, dinosaurs from the Natural History Museum, which has been going on tour over the last few years. And in fact, um, Peterborough Cathedral is the very last place um, this exhibition will be seen before it's retired. It's a mixture of static uh, um, uh, models of, uh, of dinosaurs, along with some animatronic Um, exhibits, uh, which move and roar and eat each other and uh, generally uh, are quite alarming and surprising and quite entertaining at the same time. So the cathedral, um, rather than being a um, quite a a quiet and contemplative space, uh, at the moment you you walk in and in the far distance, um, you hear this strange gurgling sound and uh, roaring from the distance. It's really good to have exhibitions like this in such a fantastic public space as a cathedral, particularly through the summer holidays. And we've already, um, in the first week or two, had many families saying just how much they appreciate something like this being brought to them in the city centre, um, rather than having to go to the great expense of getting on a train or driving driving down to, to, to London to, uh, to see the exhibition there. And it's something as a cathedral we like to do every summer, to uh, open up the space, Uh, to bring many people who otherwise would not have ventured inside um, the cathedral. Um, Often um, people, many of whom would be local, who have walked Mm. past it many times. It's right in the heart of the city. Mm. But to know that they're welcome, to look around and to see not only dinosaurs, but much more besides. And I can see that it is a kind of... um, a service to the to the local area and so on but it's it's very um it 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 looks really incongruous doesn't it as you you've <laughs> said normally the cathedral is a a, a, a 
very quiet space. You look at the beautiful stonework, the beautiful windows and so on. And then to, to hear this, this, this um, these terrible sounds and, and watch dinosaurs eating each other all around the cathedral. Um, <laughs> what do you hope people will make of that incongruity? Well, I think it sounds more incongruous than people experience it as, or at least what's been interesting talking to people on their way out. And and I've been chatting with people and saying, so what did you make of that? Um, these dinosaurs in this building and God, um, what sort of connections do you make? And for some people, it definitely um, feels like they've simply been to a museum. It's an old building and there were some dinosaurs there and that's nice. Many people have been... Um, really quite confused that I would even ask the question, well, why not have dinosaurs in a cathedral? I mean, you know, if God made everything, he must have made dinosaurs. Can't quite work out when he did it or how he did it, but there were dinosaurs, there's a God, let's look at them. You know, so it's been really interesting that that people's reactions have been really markedly different. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's that sense of th- this shouldn't be happening here in this space. Um, is not really something that many people have posed. Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you, I've got some, um, I do have some grandchildren who are actually fascinated by dinosaurs, so they would love going to Peterborough Cathedral. They don't live in Peterborough, sadly, but they um, they would be just delighted with the idea of dinosaurs in a cathedral. Um, but I guess all of that raises um, the reason why we're doing this God pod, because um, I guess the, the, the whole question of dinosaurs, their, uh, their creation, their extinction, their place within the kind of history of creation and prehistory is, 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 does raise a number of sort of theological questions, mm. um, particularly questions of biblical history as well. And so uh, we thought we'd tease out some of those questions uh, in our God pod today with the help of some of the people that I think you've been speaking to, Steve. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I think you, you've sent, you collated a number of questions that have uh, have emerged from your conversations. I thought I might sort of pitch in one of them to begin with, which is, um, I guess, one of the questions that people often ask in relation to dinosaurs is, is how do you reconcile the biblical account of a six-day creation with the existence of dinosaurs? Uh, is that one you came across quite a lot, Steve? I, I did. I mean, it, there are varying versions of that question, but it's it's something to do with when I read Genesis 1, 2, 3, how does that make sense in the 21st century? Yeah. Um, so that particular question that you've you've quoted is is probably the most succinctly put of of the variety of ways that was expressed. Yeah, we're all into succinctness in the in God Pod. But anyway, Michael, I'm, I'm not into succinctness at all. But, um, it, one of the things I've come across recently is uh, a, a Eucharistic poem um, about, about Baal creating the world. And the, the, well, creating a temple for himself, not creating the world, creating a temple for himself. And the interesting thing is that he does it in seven days. So seven days is what it takes a god to build a temple. Interestingly, the Jerusalem temple took seven years because it didn't have a god building it. It was only human beings. Uh, so one of the things that Genesis seems to be telling us, I think, by saying talking about seven days is not how long it took it's not a a kind of scientific thing it's what god is building here is a temple and that culminates of course in in the idol the image in the temple being not a thing of gold and silver but but human beings so it's actually making a really interesting point about what creation is for it's a place where god and human beings meet Uh, that's its purpose 
Um, it's not actually making any scientific statement about uh, how old the world is, how long it took to make it, or anything like that. And, and when you get that background, I think it makes a whole lot more sense of, of what creation's about. Well, the interesting thing I, I think also about the um, creation story in Genesis is, you're right, Mike, I think it's not in its primarily theology rather than it is sort of prehistory. But there's something about the order in which creation happens, which is quite interesting, isn't it? Because it starts with the, you know, the formless void, and then you get the light and then the land and the, the sky and water and vegetation. Uh, and then you get animal life appearing relatively late in, in, in the story, culminating in humanity at the end of it. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, with people who wouldn't necessarily know that story, wouldn't have been, you say if humanity had been created on the first day, um, that would feel a little bit out of kilter with what we know of the kind of way in which life has developed. And um, I guess there are those verses in the middle of Genesis 1, aren't they? You know, Genesis 1, 20 and 21, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And you kind of think there's um, that isn't a million miles away from um, the kind of creatures we're talking about and that you're kind of looking at in the cathedral at the moment as a sort of mm. part of the kind of progress and stage towards the culmination of humanity coming at the end of that story. So even though um, we don't look to Genesis for a particular time scale for um, the time taken over creation, it does seem to give us some hints about the kind of order and stages with, with which creation goes through. Steve? Yeah, I, it's interesting how quickly discussion of this question rapidly seems to move on with people to the question of what kind of book is the bible hmm. uh, you know, it's written for us but it's not necessarily written to us but it's it, you know we're asking questions in the 21st century of a text or a particular page of a text that when it was written wasn't asking the questions that we're asking so there are things we can learn if we can try and get behind what the the, the original intention of this page uh, was for. Um, and, and then that jumps into all kinds of questions about all sorts of other bits of the Bible. So it, it, it feels like it's a springboard question into the nature of Scripture itself. Yeah, And I think part of the problem with that is that I think we've become very unintelligent readers of the Bible because we, we've put it in a place that we don't really understand or talk about if we went into a library we would see shelves marked biography um history uh, geology we and we would know what those books were about and in in effect um the bible has books that cover all the categories of of literature but because we know it's inspired and authoritative we don't know how to read it um because we don't have other books um largely in our culture um with with that kind of label on um, and so I, I don't know, I'm sure we've all met people who say, well, if if Genesis isn't true, then I can't trust the Bible um, mm. because they're, they're assuming there's only one way of it being inspired and authoritative, which mm. is um, a, a completely um, non-literary way, mm. you might say. Yeah. It's a, it's a much more nuanced book in a literary form than we than we than we often think. I guess the the other historical question, I guess, that comes up, and um, it may be hinted in some of the questions you were talking about, Steve, is is not so much about the time scale of creation or the six or seven days of creation, but but the place of the fall in it all. Because of course, in Genesis one to three, the fall happens in chapter three uh, as a result of the human 
uh, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden, kind of, you know, um, resisting the will of God. And you've got, yes, of course, all the, the animals and the dinosaurs have come before that. And yet, of course, people look at, you know, the exhibition in the cathedral and there are dinosaurs eating each other. And that doesn't seem ideal as part of God's creation. So how come the dinosaurs were eating each other before the fall happened? And that's one of the questions, I guess, that people often have when they when they encounter the kind of nature, red and tooth and claw of, of, of the dinosaur era. Uh, with the idea of the fall happening relatively late in the story, only when humans come upon the scene. So um, I guess that's one of the questions that that, that you may have promised. Is that one you've, you've come across, Steve? Uh, it is. Uh, I'm hesitant to say too much about the fall with Michael uh, on, on this particular call, knowing how we've discussed this He's in the, the past. <laughs> He's the man. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I found myself thinking a couple of things. One is... Um, uh, are human beings scavengers and predators as well? Uh, not just just not just T Rex. Is you know the the words sound quite um, dramatic, but um, are, are we not exactly the same? Uh, and also, um, I wonder to what extent actually are the lens through which we view dinosaurs um, has been created for us by Hollywood and, and the movie screens. I mean, I'm not saying they're cuddly, but. Um, on the other, well, the, there are cuddly toys in the cathedral shop if you want to buy them. So there are some that are cuddly, yeah. but uh, you know, are, do, have we created for ourselves an overdramatic image of of the dinosaurs that actually is is you know entertaining? But is it truthful? It's all the fault of Jurassic Park. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Um, I kind of feel an itch to bring in Michael at this point as we're talking about the fall. Uh, well, it reminded me. That discussion of the dinosaurs being cuddly um, of the Faulty Towers episode where uh, Manuel was uh, had a pet rat and Basil Fawlty said cuddle that and you'll never play the guitar again uh, and it's slightly the same ballpark here um, but it's very interesting to me I always assumed that Genesis thought that everything went wrong with the human fall but actually when you look more closely, it doesn't. There are already things that are wrong. Uh, they are there's the existence of the serpent, for one thing, and for however, however you read that, that's something that's actively working against the purposes of God before human beings rebel. Um, and secondly, there's the command to fill the earth and subdue it. Subduing it, we're called upon to. to Put, put it right in some way, which suggests that there's already something that needs to be subdued, that needs to be put right. Now, exactly um, how one accounts for the fact that there are things already wrong in uh, God's good creation, there are all sorts of ways of doing it. Uh, I notoriously suggest that there's already been uh, a prior angelic fall and that that has distorted the way in which um, creation has developed, luring it away from God's original harmonious purposes for it. Um, but it's interesting that the text, to me, doesn't suggest everything was sweetness and light before the human fall. I, and I think one of the questions then is, is uh, and one of the things that I find really intriguing about um, the kind of questions that arise around dinosaurs and around um, uh, the existence of what you might call natural evil, is, 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 is the deep moral sense that people have that things should be right um and uh, if you don't actually believe in a good creator you think why, where does this moral sense come from why do people think things should be right um if they don't believe uh, that a good god um made the world then we should just sort of assume well of course there are predators and scavengers 
or through history. Uh, and I suppose that is one of the questions that um, that gets focused in the Genesis account, isn't it? There's a point at which a sentient, intelligent, created being that Genesis calls Adam uh, rebels against God. Um, in a sense, there's um, that we're not given any any um, particular sense in Genesis before that, that something has deliberately rebelled against God. As you say, Mike, the serpent is 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 doing something that is part of its nature. You might almost say it's it's a it's a cunning creature, and that's what it's created to be. But human beings don't need to take any notice of that serpent. It's a human choice, in a sense, um, that we're being shown. Uh, that there is um, there's both an outside and an inside to these moral choices that human beings make. I mean, it's 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 the most brilliant story, isn't it? The most brilliant um, uh, evocation uh, of of human beings' decision to separate themselves from from the rest of creation and from God in taking in wanting to be autonomous in our choices, you might say. And indeed, the result of the fall is separation from each other, from God, but also from the, the natural world and um, a, an alienation, if you like. Yeah. Uh, and there's a continuity in it, isn't it? Because I think Augustine talks about angels being created at the beginning along with light. And angels are beings of light, and therefore, they, you know, along with the creation of light, he creates angels at the kind of early stages of, 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 of creation. Um but he then he then goes on to say about how um, how uh, angels sinned from from pride, um, which is that again that that desire to be independent, to be kind of somehow superior, to be distinct from uh, from God. And then there's a kind of continuity of that leading on to the kind of human sort of you know action in response to um, to the angelic fall. So I guess you know for people listening to this, it may be kind of strange to kind of. Um, I mean, the, you know, the idea of angels, literally, all the surveys tell us that more than 50% of people believe in angels. Um, but within Christian theology, it is one of the ways in which people have uh, made sense of the idea of of um, there being a kind of disorder in the world before humans have come around because of um, other kinds of beings um, that maybe don't fit into our normal framework of, of thinking. And yet that sense of, you know, even at the kind of the early stages of creation, um, that uh, that something went wrong at a very early stage of it. But I guess that the um, the other key point, of course, that Augustine does make is that God makes nothing bad. Mm. Um, angels are not bad by nature. In fact, he says that nothing's bad by nature. Things go bad because of an act of will turning against God in that sense. And that is, I think, why, again, the Christian tradition has always thought about the devil, evil as a personal being, because only persons can can, can act in, in will. Uh, you know, evil is not a sort of thing. It's not a substance. It's not an impersonal force within the world. It's a, it's a result of an act of will, which, think, which is a thing that persons can can only do, which is why, you know, evil is personified in Christian theology in the form of the devil or Satan or whatever it might be. It's very interesting, isn't it, that Milton, um, it, Milton's Satan says it's better to uh, reign in hell than serve in heaven. Mm, yeah. Um, and again, I think that's a... a, a, a perceptive insight about the the, the will the will to power yeah. um augustine also says of course that, that that where things go wrong is 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 partly will but partly putting things 
in the wrong proportion to each other. So it's wanting, it's putting something in the place of God. It's putting things, um, it's desiring things in ways that don't recognize the ordering of things. And that's another thing that Genesis is so good about, isn't it? It's showing how everything relates to everything else. Each day of creation, each eon of creation requires the one before and enables the one after. Uh, and again, as Mike says, that's one of the things that the, the fall story tells is, is that, that all those connections are broken. Mm. Things don't know how to relate to each other anymore. And one of the other questions that came up, Steve, in the things you were passing on to us was this question about um, if, if the dinosaurs became extinct, what hope is there for us? Um, so one of the questions I think you, you sent through was, in how, how long do you think we will live on Earth in comparison with the dinosaurs? What will come after us? Uh, are we going to fall extinct as a result of a meteor hitting the Earth? And, or whatever happened to the dinosaurs, will it happen to us? Or is there something special about humanity that means we will continue? Was that a question that came up in your conversations? Yes, uh, a few times with people. And, and, and it was a it was really a question um, which seemed to spring from um, a sense of searching. So mm. having looked backwards into deep history at these dinosaurs standing in a building that's 900 years old on a site of christian worship that's 1400 years old then beginning immediately to mm. contemplate so where are we heading um mm. and so a variety of people were, were were asking questions like this and and of course you end up not speaking necessarily directly about well how long are we going to be in in mathematical terms how long are mm. we going to be here but instead you begin to kind of talk about the yearnings of an individual's heart and what it is they're anxious about or fearful of or hopeful for and and also um uh, in, in terms of uh engaging this question as a christian is um the question of revelation and how might god have shown us this shown us what the future or hints to the future might be like in the person of jesus in the pages of scripture and uh, in an understanding of the sovereignty of God who holds time in his hands and the sense of security that brings as a Christian. So um, it, it's a, it's another one of those questions which is rooted in something very specific, but ends up in quite a diffuse conversation according to to what the person yeah. asking it is uh, is most concerned about. I was reading recently that apparently there have been five major extinctions in the history of our planet so we're not just talking about one extinction of a meteor hitting the world and destroying the dinosaurs there are a number of different extinctions of, of, of forms of life uh, in our past and so therefore it does raise the question of well what about our form of life is there any guarantee yes. a theological guarantee that somehow humans being humans will be you know are the culmination of, of creation and therefore will endure for the future and so on so what, what are your thoughts on that jane yeah and and our, and our exhibition opened on the week of the two hottest days in the history yeah. of the country and so there was a sense of not so much um, a meteor might randomly hit our planet and kill us off but we might carry on doing exactly. things to our planet which kill ourselves off and yeah. so so i think that that question of extinction and human responsibility for that was really very much in people's mm -hmm. minds mm -hmm. Yes, I mean, human intelligence is going to make it less likely that a meteor uh, will hit the Earth and destroy us because we've begun to develop ways of trying to stop that from happening. On the other hand, it is more like we are more likely than the dinosaurs were to kill ourselves and the planet through climate change uh, because of the activity that we've got. And it, it, in a sense, our intelligence is making that 
a more likely outcome. And even if it weren't, if entropy is is a correct uh, expectation, then the whole thing is going to collapse into itself at some point anyway. So there is no guarantee that because we're so special, you know, God will intervene to stop us from destroying ourselves or the planet or, or the universe or whatever. I think the, the only hope there, but it's a real one, is that regardless of what happens, God holds who we are, holds his, his world and his creation and his creatures uh, in his memory and can recreate those um, at some point and, and give new life and new relationship and new exploration and new uh, opportunity to uh, all those creatures. It, it's, the hope is the other side of whatever goes wrong. It's not that nothing will go wrong. And that's a, a really interesting sort of um, dual challenge um, for, for Christians, isn't it? Because on the one hand, the, the, the sort of, as we look at God, the creator, and God's sharing of, of creation and God's sharing of God's power and, and so on over creation with us, we're, we're looking at a story of uh, great responsibility. Um, and uh, I, I, because we understand and are uh, called by God to, to be God's images in the world, great sense of responsibility towards uh, God's creation and love for it. Um, so that um, we are required not, I mean, to work really hard, not to uh, uh, let it burn, to, to use all the gifts that God has given us to take care of the universe. But at the same time, also to remember that it's, it came from nothing, it will return to nothing. And all that actually exists forever is God. Uh, and, uh, that, uh, and God's uh, eternal love, what God has made. Um, is that and, Sorry, carry on, Graham. I will no, let you saying. speak. No, no, no I'm done. <laughs> I was just ready to ask a question. Um, I guess, we, I mean, theologically, the um, the coming of Christ, um, or that God became incarnate, not as a dinosaur, but as a, a human being, um, is that significant for the question of extinction? In the sense that if God chose to become incarnate as a human being, um, and has revealed himself fully within the person of, of Jesus Christ, within the human race, as in some sense the culmination of, of the, the creation as we know it. Does that give us any guarantee, any hope that there is a kind of long-term um, place for the human race within the created order, within the kind of story and history of salvation? Um, or, or does that not give us any guarantees at all that actually still the the, the, the possibility of environmental catastrophe or, or whatever is still there? What do we make of that question? Michael? I, I, do, I do think that it gives some help in the sense that uh, it talks about God valuing his creation enough to enter it and try and put it right and put it back onto uh a relationship with himself that will mean that it's part of it of his continuing and ongoing eternal life rather than cut off from that and and heading on its own way towards extinction um i don't think it means that there will be no catastrophe or no um extinction it's just that he is not ultimately going to let go of it he's not ultimately going to leave it to its own self-destructive purposes He's not ultimately going to let it uh, descend into non-being. He is going to 
uh, hold it and recreate it because he it matters to him. It, he he values it, and that there is um, eternally a place for human beings in the life or place of God because God has um, invited us and enabled that through Jesus Christ. So that that vision of of the of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, Son, is 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 the the guarantee that um, in God's space and place, there is still room for human beings, even when human beings um, uh, don't know our own space and place in our own world, perhaps. And I think also that idea of, of Jesus as the representative human, the new Adam, I think is maybe quite significant here, that even if the human race makes a complete big zero of everything and we manage to destroy this planet by our reckless misuse of it, yet still one of us, Jesus Christ, um, has brought about the salvation of the world. So in some ways, some sense, you know, the divine purpose through humanity has been fulfilled through Christ uh, and will be fulfilled. And therefore, the kind of salvation of the world will still happen um, because of Christ, even if the rest of us make a complete mess of it. Um, but, you know, the thing is, we are invited to kind of join with Christ and be uh, be one with him, to, uh, to to come to this relationship with God where we begun to, 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 to work with the purposes of God rather than against the purposes of God. And we do that by being in fellowship with Christ, by learning his way, by learning to pray to him, by learning to be close to him, by have by that fellowship with Christ that is the invitation of Christian faith. Right, this morning I was reading an Anglo-Saxon uh, poem called The Order of the World. Um, and uh, I, was I have to confess, I was reading this in translation, uh, but it said, the Lord of life summons and leads all created things into the embrace of his unity. Uh, and if, as Jane says, God is the only thing that lives forever, the creation is invited into the embrace of that unity and therefore is invited into a being sustained in being um, in a way that I think matches the love of God, the, the valuing of God for, for all that he has made. I'm conscious we're uh, getting towards the end of our time. Um, Steve, do you want to, any last comments you have? Um, I mean, again, first of all, thank you so much for um, inviting us to comment on your um, really interesting exhibition. But any final comments from you as you uh, as we wrap this up? Thank you. It's been fascinating to listen to the three of you uh, discuss uh, discuss the dinosaurs and what that uh, makes you think about theologically. Um, as I've been listening to this last bit of conversation, I've been taken right back to something Michael said at the very beginning, um, or words, you may have said something like this. Um, I guess it depends what story you're living in. Um, and with that last question that we've been discussing, some people are, I think, today living with a story of inevitable catastrophe mm. or imminent catastrophe or insecurity or the fragility, which is true, the fragility of, of, of the planet. Um, but there's something in, in the Christian story, which is sort of the good news before the good news, that there is a God of love from eternity to eternity who wants us to know him and has revealed himself to us. And as without um, uh, giving us a, a, a um, completely um, uh, completely uh, 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 detailed uh, sort of roadmap into the future, has nevertheless given us uh, sufficient 
to to trust and hope and and put our faith in to to walk with that God into the future. So this uh, the, the, this exhibition is provoking all kinds of stories about. Uh, the kinds of um, images people have of themselves, of the gods they do or don't believe in, of the world they think they're living in. And uh, it's it's hugely stimulating. Wonderful. Thank you, Steve, very much indeed for joining us on this Thank God you. Pod. So um, uh, I don't think we've discussed dinosaurs for quite a long time. I mean, I think someone was saying we, we may have discussed it on God Pod 2, which is about, you know, about 160 million years ago. Um <laughs> But uh, since then, we haven't really talked about it. So it's a really good opportunity to find something we haven't talked about for quite some time. So um, thank you, Steve, for your stimulating um, contributions today and for the exhibition at Peterborough Cathedral. So um, it's goodbye from me. And also from me. Despite the bad so I apologise for that. Thank you very much. Okay, good. Okay, goodbye, everybody. And uh, we will see you very soon for the next God Pod. We won't see you, but we'll hear you. Bye-bye. That was GodPod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.